Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. It's great to see a packed house this morning. Uh, really, really glad to be here. I'd like to call us to worship uh, from Psalm 111. If you could, please, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him, full of splendor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. With this many people, I know there's some guests out there. Uh, so we'd like to just thank you for being here. And if you are a guest, uh, on your bulletin that you received, there's a perforated tab that you can tear off. If you just fill that out uh, with a little bit of your information, we just want to tell you thank you that you're gl- uh, and that we're glad that you came uh, this morning to Broadway and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by. And uh, if you're someone in the church looking for a way to plug in, there's a lot of ministries, a lot of things happening. And especially if you want to help out with youth ministry, uh, you just mark on there that you want to help with youth ministry, and uh, I'll be in contact with you. So uh, we're glad you're here to worship, and uh, Gene's going to lead us this morning. Thank you, Zach. You all just remain standing, if you would. Uh, I'm Gene King, filling in for David Dale. He and the Voice of Praise are on up in Indiana this morning singing up there, and they'll be back this afternoon. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. If you are interested or have already signed up to agree to play handbells, we are meeting this afternoon at 5 o'clock. So be in the choir room at 5 o'clock if you'd like to play handbells with us. Uh, Betty is at the piano this morning. Gail Hurd is sick. She has pneumonia. Uh, or has the flu with all the complications that goes with it. So we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, Brother Steve Woodyard this morning was not feeling well. They have just taken him out. So uh, remember them in prayer. Let's join in singing this morning. Shine, Jesus shine. Shall we sing?
Brother Hurd has gone to be with Steve Woodyard. So uh, let's remember that situation as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the many blessings you've given us. We want to thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to worship you this day. Lord, we want to remember Brother Steve particularly, and we want to thank you for Brother Hurd and his uh, patience and his service to you. Lord, I pray that you would watch over our music service, give the pastor the words that are needed as he delivers your message today. And Lord, we pray that there are receptive hearts to hear what Pastor Daniel has to say. We pray, Lord, for your guidance. We pray that you would watch over us, care for us, and help us, Lord, to be ever mindful of ways that we can tell others about you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Alas, and did my Savior bleed at the cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my
Pray with me. Loving Father, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our Sunday school hour with the teachers sharing the knowledge of the word with us. And Father, I pray that you be with Pastor Daniels. He brings the word. And I thank you for the elements that we're going to protect today. And I just pray that you'll help us all to, to remember the meaning of those elements. I just thank you for this opportunity we have of giving back just a small portion of what you've given to us. I pray that you'll take these tithes and offerings and use them to spread your gospel throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
that was yesterday here at church. We do something called Upward Basketball. We partner with Porter Memorial Baptist Church as well as Crosswoods Baptist Church. Since we have the, of the three churches, we have the smallest gym. So the youngest children play here. The middle-aged children, uh, Porter doesn't have quite a full-size, full-size uh, gym is uh, 84 feet. They're not quite there yet. So they have the middle-aged children, but Crosswoods, they have a brand new gym, and it's 84 feet, so the oldest kids play there. So that kicked off yesterday. That will go through the second Saturday in March. So that's exciting, and we've had over 300-plus kids sign up, all the registrations through Porter. It's a great ministry, because uh, half the kids that come to Upward do not go to church. So these are unchurched kids who want to learn the fundamentals of basketball, and it's a way of... Uh, using basketball as sharing the gospel to them. So it's very encouraging uh, for that. So that's part of our Broadway stories. Another story I want to share, we have a video about it, but last week our teenagers were in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and they had had, I think, they ended up with 19 teenagers and 7 adults went, went down there with Zach. They were there, they left Saturday morning, came back on Monday night, and they had four of, the, of our 19, four of them gave their life to Jesus. They got saved, so it's very encouraging for that. Zach will be sharing uh, later on. We'll be hearing about that, sharing and seeing the great uh, fruit from uh, going down to a, a Scott Dawson conference and hearing the gospel presented. So, Zach, thank you for that. It's very encouraging uh, what happened with our youth group uh, going down there. If you have your Bible, and I certainly hope you do, always want to bring your Bible to church on Sundays. Uh, you want to open up Matthew chapter 21. We're going through, this is kind of, this entire month, the theme is stories. It's basically the parables of Jesus. I've been purposely trying to pick and select parables that we read that maybe aren't so much common that we hear all the, all the time in Sunday school and we're very familiar with. So these parables we've been looking at are maybe the lesser known parables in the scriptures. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning here. Here in Matthew chapter 21, it's verses 33 through 46. Then we're going to flip over a book of the Bible, an Old Testament, called Daniel. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. So that's going to be our supplemental verses we're going to look at. Now Daniel chapter 2 is a great chapter. It's about a dream that a king named Nebuchadnezzar had. And the dream, it was amazing how accurate this dream was. And Daniel was, God blessed him to interpret dreams. And it was a dream of a statue. And this interpretation ties in with this scripture. It even continues into today. Uh, so we're going to look at that and have a, a, a picture of the... Uh, we're, we won't show the picture yet, but we'll be looking at that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, or I'm sorry, Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46. And we'll flip over and look at Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at um, uh, a couple of different verses there. I'm in a... Uh, men, I, we have a dynamic men's ministry in our church. And I have a great group that we meet here on Thursdays, I have a group, Thursday at lunch, I have a group of guys we meet with, and it's an open group, so anybody's invited to it, we usually try to meet at 12.15 at a different restaurant, and my eyes were really open, to, we have all, it's, it's one of these conversations, it goes anywhere, and uh, Todd, I was there, and Todd's a Bible scholar, one of our um, uh, uh, premier Bible teachers we have here in Sunday School or Church, and Zach Bauer is there, and we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, and we were there, and um, Zach is an expert on millennial age group and young adults, so he fits in that category. So we were there talking about um, the language of the next generation. Now, I don't mean foul language, I mean religious language. Many of us, including myself and you, we grew up with terms, and how, this, how we got on this is Zach was sharing about when a retreat in the 
the speakers there and the language that was used, we use terms, and you are used to hearing these terms, saved, ask Jesus into your heart. You know what these words mean. You understand the word holiness, sanctify, justification, religious, religious language that we use to describe what God is doing in our life. I'm, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going I'm to deny myself and take up the cross. I'm going to give all to the Lord. I mean, these type of words and language we use to describe our disciple, that's another word, we call, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We use these words. You grew up with these words. And Zach was sharing with us, and Todd's expert too, a millennial, so he, he knew he says too, he says, the, the, this generation coming up behind some of us, they have no idea what the word saved means. You go, you find somebody who's maybe 15, 16, 21 years old, say, brother, are you saved? I mean, saved from what? Saved for what? We use words like uh, pure, purity. I mean, these are words that you're, you hear in church. Holiness. God, I'm yours. I'm a disciple. I'm saved. I've been born again. I gave my heart, my life to Jesus. But the problem is, there's other folks that all know this. We know it, and we use it casually. And what Zach was telling us is, we as adults and even grandparents, you have to teach your children and your grandchildren, don't laugh at this, what the word born again means. You have to teach them what the word saved means. You have to teach them, here's what it means to ask Jesus in your heart, to, to trust in Christ. That's what it means to become a Christian. And we, we got off on this conversation, and it was, it was interesting because the Bible uses these words. And you come into a church, into Sunday school, into youth group, and you, you hear folks talking like that, yet you're amidst a generation, and they don't live in that language. And you end up with literally two separate worlds. You have the world here that knows God talk, the world that knows about speaking about Jesus, and then you have this complete secular, really just uh, not almost anti-religious world that there's no religious language used. Yet we are commanded here in Scripture, and we're about to see this, that we have to go into this world over here that doesn't know our terminology, and we have to share with this next generation and teach people who do not know what the word saved means, what it means to get saved. You go knock on, you go talk to an unchurched person today, a young person, and you say, Brother, have you been born again? They have no idea what you're talking about. Born again. What is that? Ma'am, are you saved? What does that mean? And we literally, you are starting at square one. You have to define your terms. And what we're about to see here is Jesus, in many ways, he was struggling this with the Jewish leaders in this parable. He's telling these folks, guys, there's coming a stone. It's a cornerstone, and it's going to crush you, and you're going to get tripped over it. And they have no idea what he's talking about. No clue. They, there's a complete disconnect between what Jesus is saying here 
in what the religious leaders are, are talking about. They are in their own world. They have, they have their own language. And Jesus is standing here saying, Brother, I'm the Messiah. I am the, stone, I'm the cornerstone. Everything, I either, you will fall over me. Meaning that's what it means to get saved. That's when you get saved, you become broken. You fall down and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life. Unconfessed sin. And if I don't fall over the rock, the rock, when I die, will crush and fall on me. That's what Jesus is saying, and they missed it. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verse 33. Follow along your Bibles. Listen to another parable. Now, this is a parable here, and I want to tell you what we call this parable. This parable has several names in your heading of your Bible. You might call it the vineyard owner. It's also called the parable of the tenants. Also, the wicked trustees. And it's all the same parable. Uh, it has different titles. So, listen to another parable, Jesus says. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Watch now, I'm going to tell you about each um, define, you know, in a parable, Jesus is telling a story that represents something else. The landowner is God, God the Father. He's, he's the guy that owns all the land. Now, the vineyard here, we're seeing this represents Israel, then it's going to shift, and it's going to represent the kingdom of God. That's what the vineyard is. So it's just, it's, it's, his, it's people out there. That's, uh, so the landowner is going to plant this vineyard. We're going to see what's going to happen to it. So if you're saved, you're part of the vineyard. He leased it to a tenant farmer, to tenant farmers, and he went away. Now the tenant, tenant farmers, back remember, it was 2,000 years ago, these are the Jewish religious leaders. These are the people who are entrusted with teaching the Bible in their Old Testament to the folks who come to the temple. These are, the, these are your deacons, these are your pastors, this is your youth minister, this is your children's director. These are the people who are teaching the scriptures, who are faithful to God's word. So they're in charge of the vineyard. They're, le they're being it's leased out to them. When the time came for a harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect his fruit. So the, the owner, landowner, he's like saying, okay, it's time, I'm ready to get my harvest. It's time for some fruit. Let's see how much money I'm going to make this season. And it says here, verse 35, The farmers took his servants. Now look at this. Beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. I mean, not a good response for these guys. They got killed, beat up, and stoned. So they're just there to collect their, their dues. It's not even theirs to begin with, but these tenant farmers didn't like the, um, the folks there. And the... Um, it says here, the servants, this represents what we would might call the Old Testament prophets. These would be the prophets of old. These are your Isaiahs, your Daniels, your Jeremiahs, guys who are just proclaiming, Zechariah, trying to proclaim God's word, saying, guys, y'all, we need to live for the Lord. And they're getting killed. They're not getting listened to. In fact, they're getting beat up. Uh, very similar to today. Oh, there, there, there was a, a disappointment with the response of the prophets. Verse 36, again he sent another servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. So ground two, we, we beat up the second group of prophets. We don't like them either. Those first ones maybe were the major prophets, and here come the minor prophets, and they don't, they don't get a good response, so we're, um, we're killing everybody. Verse 37, finally he sent his son to them. He sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. So let's see what happens to the landowner's son. Now, the landowner's son represents Jesus. 
But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? I mean, these, these farmers here were ruthless. Everybody comes, they just kill them all. Nobody makes it. We're going to kill the son, kill every group that come. So three different groups show up, and uh, even the son gets killed. So Jesus, remember, he's telling the story. This didn't really happen. It's symbolic of something else. In verse 41, he asks that question there, and has, the answer is, he will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who would give him his fruit for the harvest. You remember, all the vineyard, all the landowner wants here, all God wants, he just wants the fruit from his harvest. He's waiting to see his vineyard. Remember, the vineyard's you and I. He's waiting to see us produce some fruit. He's waiting to see us do something in our life. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? So now here he's quoting, Jesus is going to quote Psalm 118, 22, and 23. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done. It is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit. Now notice Jesus is saying God is looking for folks who are going to be producing fruit. He wants a return on his investment. He wants to see something good coming out of the folks he's invested in. Whoever falls on this stone, this is the key verse here, will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. So this stone here, Jesus is saying in this passage, I am the capstone. I'm the foundational stone when you build a building. And what's going to happen is, people are either going to fall over me. When you get saved, and to define that term, saved means to, give your, to trust in Jesus as your Savior, to admit you're a sinner. What that means when you get saved is you're coming to God with a broken heart in a humble way saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am going to hell if I die with unconfessed sin in my heart. And if I don't fall over you, I can't be saved. No one gets saved with a proud heart. We don't come to Jesus and say, Lord, you're lucky to have me. We don't walk down the aisle saying with a smile on our face, saying, Lord, here I am. I'm the one you've been waiting for. That's, remember, that, remember the rich young ruler? That's how she showed up as a follower of Jesus. He said, here, I'm ready to join the club. And the disciples were going crazy about it. Finally, we're getting this wonderful guy who's wealthy and young and good looking. That's who we want to be, be a deacon. And Jesus turned him away because he had a proud heart. He loved money and God. He, the Lord, Jesus said, no, you can't. And it says here in verse 44, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. What that means is this stone we're seeing here. It will fall on people. If folks do not know the Lord, if they are not saved, Jesus will crush them. Now, we have a picture here. Let's see if it uh, comes up. We're gonna, we'll leave it up here a little while. We're going to go ahead and turn. This, this prophecy here is actually a fulfillment. Actually, I, wanna, I didn't finish the last couple of verses. Verse 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they knew he was speaking about them. 
Although they were looking for a way to arrest him, they feared the crowds because the people regarded him as a prophet. What's, pa- what's interesting about that passage is, notice who the Pharisees and the religious leaders feared. It wasn't God. They didn't care about this cornerstone. Who did they fear? They feared the crowds. The Pharisees cared more about what the common people thought of them than what God thought of them. That's the disconnect we see right here. If you care more about what other people think of you than what God thinks of you, you're lost. People who care what the Lord thinks of them and what the Lord wants from them are saved. But the Pharisees, they missed it. They didn't care about Jesus' teaching. They concerned that He had a following from the crowds. So they, they couldn't kill Him there because they feared the crowds. So we got to keep them happy. I mean, it's like a perfect politician today. I mean, that's who the Pharisees... I mean, it's literally, what, what do the constituents think? What does the crowd think? What's the audience think right here? And I, be, I believe whatever you believe. That's what politicians do. They're just like you. Whatever you believe, they believe. And that's essentially is what they were, we were getting here from the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, that is not what it means to be my follower. There's going to be this rock... And you're either going to fall over the rock and no one's going to like you. And you're going to be broken. And your life's going to be changed for it or the rock's going to hit you. Turn your Bible back here to Daniel chapter 2. This prophecy here, this parable we just saw, is really, church, it's identical to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 is an interesting chapter in the Scriptures. There was a king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, his friends, they were hauled off to Babylon and they were in exile and they were there living. They were eating uh, vegetables and fruit. They weren't eating the king's food and uh, they they were actually flourishing. They were smart guys. But all of a sudden, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 1 talks about this exile. Daniel and his friends are out there and they're living for the Lord. But Daniel chapter 2, something horrible happens. Nebuchadnezzar, there, the king, he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees this statue we're about to read about here. And in this statue, uh, it, it bothers him. One of the, Daniel's gifts is he had the ability to interpret dreams. And he was able to do that. God blessed him with this. This dream is, is actually, uh, it, it, it's even occurring today, what we're about to see here, about these empires. Where basically, there's four or five empires. And then there's a coming empire that's going to destroy them all, we're going to see. And that's the rock. That's the, that's the cornerstone. And what happens here is Nebuchadnezzar is upset because he has this dream. He doesn't know what it means. So he calls in all the wise men and all the astrologers and he says, interpret this dream for me. And they're saying, well, please tell us what the dream means. And he says, no, you tell me what the dream is and then tell me the meaning of it. I'm not going to tell you. So none of them knew what the dream was because they can't. These guys were phonies, so they didn't know what the dream was. So they're begging there for Nebuchadnezzar to help interpret the dream. At least tell me what the dream is. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar saying no. So he decides, okay, this is how they do business back then. If you don't tell me a dream, I'm just going to kill all of y'all. That's how it goes in Bible times. So um, Daniel, next thing you know, he's on death row now. And Daniel chapter 2, he didn't make it very far. But him and his friends there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're about to get killed. Well, Daniel finds out, one of the most understatements of the the, uh, Bible is in um, Daniel chapter 2 here, where he finds out he's about to be killed. And uh, it bothered Daniel that he's about to die. The Bible says he was bothered by it, that 
king had a dream, and here we are about to die because nobody can interpret. So Daniel, has, he asked his friends, hey, guys, please pray. This is, why, this is what intercessory prayer is. This is why you should be asking people to pray for you. Daniel asked his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Guys, he had a discipleship group right there of four guys. And he says, guys, please pray for me because if we don't hurry up and get an answer from the Lord, we won't be around for Daniel chapter 3 to see what's going to happen because we're about to get executed. Well, God answered those guys' prayer and he told Daniel the dream. He told Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. So Daniel says, when told the king's guard, says, hey, I, I need to go speak to the king. I've got the answer. So sure enough, we're going to pick up right here. And this, this dream is what this statue is right here. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. He walks up and he says, Your majesty, this is Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, as you are watching suddenly, this is the dream, a colossal statue appeared. That statue is tall and dazzling was standing in front of you in its appearance and terrifying. The head of the statue is pure gold. Now we're going to look at this. Pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach, its thighs were bronze. Its legs were of iron. And the feet were partly iron and partly fiery clay. Now that's actually us today, the feet where we're at. Verse 34. As you were watching a stone... Now this is Jesus coming in. Verse 34. As you were watching a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet, of iron and fired clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were shattered and became like chaff. And just nothing. Dust. From a summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that's the dream. Daniel also was given the interpretation of the dream. Skip down to verse 44. Here's the interpretation of the dream. And this is how it ties exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 21. Verse 44, look at what it says here. Here's the interpretation. In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The gold we saw there, that was the Babylonian Empire. That's where Nebuchadnezzar was. Now remember, this is in 500 B.C., Daniel's been hauled away to Babylon, but soon Nebuchadnezzar's about to get destroyed by the Silver Empire, which is what we call the Persian Empire. They got wiped out by them. Then after the Persians came, we get into the Greek Empire. Persians didn't last long. We had the Greek Empire. And then right after that, and this is shortly after Jesus here, we enter what we call the Iron, which is the Roman Empire. So what happened here is we see these things occur. Now, the Roman Empire ended um, 500, 600 years ago, and then there's this feet called of iron and clay, and the feet are mixed together. They're essentially an extension of the Roman Empire. We, as Christians, have been, effect, have been influenced by Rome. We have a Western mindset, that means from Rome, and that really comes from the Apostle Paul and how he took his missionary turn to go up into Europe. And there was once a strong Roman Empire. So where we're at today is we're at the bottom of this. And this is this mixture of iron and clay. And that's just modernity, where we're at today. Now this is just basically, now remember, this is prophesied 2,500 plus years ago. This is a dream that Daniel 
had an interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar. They were living in the Babylonian Empire, and it was about to end in a couple of chapters. It didn't last very long. In fact, Daniel was there when it ended. And all of a sudden, at the very end, in verse 44, we just read, it describes all of a sudden there's this stone that's going to show up. And it's not even going to break off. It's going to come out of nowhere. In the days of those kings, verse 44, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to other people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it itself will endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it. Out of another mountain. It's not part of this statue. And it crushed the irons, bronze, fire, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain and its interpretation is reliable. In this picture here, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that was essentially the history of the world and the coming, what's going to happen. And that's it right there. Here's the different empires of the world, but all of a sudden there's going to be this stone that's going to come off from some mountain. It's even going to break off from this great statue. And it's going to roll and it's going to hit this statue and destroy everything. And the question is, well, what does this mean today? We know this is 2,500 years ago. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 21. He is this stone who's going to come, and He's going to destroy all kingdoms for us. What does this mean for us today? This morning, you and I, we have a stone in front of us. We're either going to fall over this stone, And we're going to be broken. When you're broken, that's another religious word. That means God has spoken to your heart. That means He's convicted of you sin. That's another religious word. Conviction of sin. And you realize that you are lost without Jesus. If you and I do not fall over this stone, church, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. This stone is rolling towards us. It's here. It's coming. Jesus' kingdom is the final kingdom. You know, as great as the United States is, and we have a wonderful, we're blessed to live here, the most wonderful country on earth, it's not our final home. It's not where we will stay. We must fall over this rock and give our life to Jesus. You know, I'll tell you, a couple of months ago, we were talking a lot about the Reformation. And that was with Martin Luther. They had the 500-year anniversary of of, of, of the Reformation. One of the things with Martin Luther, back um, a few uh, weeks, a, month, a few months ago, I guess by now, we sang a song called Martin Luther Road. It's called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. It's actually in the uh, Baptist hymnal here. Martin Luther wrote that, and I want to tell you why he wrote that. Martin Luther was one of these guys that um, he isolated himself. What I mean by that is it's easy today to live like it was 500 years ago. Martin Luther loved to study the Bible. He loved to write books. He wrote Bible commentaries on every single subject out there. He just wrote, 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 wrote. His most famous one is called Table Talk. And he wrote a famous commentary on the book of Romans. Well, one day his wife, her name was Kathy, she came to him and says, Martin Luther, do you want to go do something? I mean, all you do is just lock yourself up in this ivory tower in your study and just study, study. He just isolated himself. And his wife just basically couldn't get a hold of him because he lived in another world. And you say, 
Our netherworld today, it might not be like that. That was 500 years ago when the printing press is starting to come out and you're getting a lot of different authors and readers. The way we isolate ourselves is with our phones and on the internet and on the video games. You just go upstairs and you just go away for hours. You're just living in another planet with the TV. Don't even know what's going on. Just isolated from the world. Isolated from your wife, your family. You're distant. And his wife, Kathy, was just getting frustrated. I'm sure you, all of us would be if you're married and you have no marriage because all your husband does is write books all the time up in the study and doesn't seem to care about anything, about your life or doing things together. They're just, he's in another world. So what does she do one day? She dresses up in black. Now, back in funeral times, 500 years ago, you, uh, you would wear solid black. You should even today. You wear solid black. black t- she had a black dress, black hat, black gloves, black shoes, black skirt. I mean, she's covered in black. And she went and knocked on the door and said, Martin Luther, and just stood there. And he, you know, he lets her in. And he notices her and says, Oh my goodness, Kathy, who's passed away? You're thinking someone that we know has died. And he hadn't read in the newspaper yet, hadn't heard anything. <clears throat> and her answer was, Do you know who's died, Martin Luther? God has died. And he looks at her and says, that's blasphemy. I can't believe you would say that God has died. And she looked at him and says, Martin Luther, husband, it's you. You have literally died. In your study, in your books, all you do is just, you've neglected your family. You've neglected your children. They had multiple children. You've neglected living in the community. All you do is read, write, pray, and teach. There's no, we've lost our life. And his answer was as, Lord, forgive me. I see now I've died. And literally what had happened is, He had isolated himself so much, even though it was in so-called righteousness, and he was doing a thought, he thought a good deed for the Lord, he was living a life of total neglect to those who loved him the most. And this the story we see here, and what it means by this, and what she was teaching him, having a relationship with the Lord means. You have a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus includes other people. It includes not only loving God, but also loving others. Those were the first and second greatest commandments. So what happens if you've just isolated yourself? Yeah, I do my church thing. I do but live in my own little world and you don't love or you don't even take time to invest in discipleship and relationships in your family. You've neglected the two most important commandments. And we are surrounded. That story about Martin Luther and what happened is he left his room, study and made a commitment to start being more social and getting to know his wife again and his family. And then he wrote the most famous hymn of all, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Because he realized, God, I, there's more than just, ne- just ne- neglecting everyone so I can be alone with you. I share this because this is how folks live today. If you and I aren't careful, we will find ourselves living isolated lives. 
we will find ourselves saying, God, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to be over here. I'm going to live in my own little world. And Jesus is, church, the rock will crush us. The stone is rolling towards us. If we aren't living our life loving the Lord and the community of a local church and loving others, investing our time into a lost world, that's the Great Commission. It's what Christ tells us to do. You are living in great disobedience. (coughs) Christ has commanded us. We have to reach Lexington with the Lord. We have to. Jesus Christ has commissioned you and I in Broadway Baptist to go out among all these people who is spiritually dead and tell Him about the Lord. Because there is a rolling rock coming, a future judgment coming along. And if it's not me and you and us at Broadway, then who? So what do we see here? The religious leaders in this parable, going back to Matthew 23, here's our takeaways. What do we see here? These religious leaders loved themselves more than they loved God. That's just like Martin Luther. He loved his studies. He loved his work. He loved his reading more than he loved the Lord. Because if he loved the Lord, he would not be treating people that way. Listen, if you love Jesus, if you truly love the Lord, it will show in your other relationships. If you love your, the Lord, you will not hate your wife. You will not neglect your husband. You won't, you won't neglect your children. You won't isolate them. The love for the Lord spills over into other people. You'll love church. You'll come to church with the attitudes, Hey, Lord, speak to me. These religious leaders here, they came. These guys, all they did is they lived at church. And the Messiah who these guys knew the Old Testament, they failed to see, I'm the rock. I'm the cornerstone. I'm standing in front of you. You know, we, we don't have time to turn there. In Mark 6.6, 6, Jesus went and um, was doing some miracles, and the people rejected Him. And the Bible says, listen to this, He was amazed at their unbelief. Don't miss that. He wasn't amazed. And the word amazed is used. He wasn't amazed at their belief. He was amazed at their unbelief. Is Jesus Christ either amazed at your belief in Him? Belief is faith. That's another church word you have to define. Faith is trusting in God, even when you can't see Him, and you don't know all the answers. Or is He amazed at your unbelief? Unbelief is when you have heard sermon after sermon, you've read Bible story after Bible story, you know it all. And you still, something's missing. You want to be a believer that Jesus Christ is amazed at your faith. Your attitude is, Lord, I trust you. I can do it because of your help. We don't want, we don't want Christ to be amazed of our unbelief. The kingdom of God here, this parable, that, this means here, He has entrusted the kingdom of God. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. He's entrusted it with us. Now, we're the ones there Man in this vineyard in Matthew chapter 21. And Christ is looking at you and I, and He's saying, what are you doing with it? When Jesus comes back, or we die and we give an account with our life, what are we going to show to Him? The stone is rolling towards us. 
We want to be folks saying, Lord, here's my fruit. Here's what I've been doing. Some of us live like Martin Luther. We, we live these isolated, lonely lives, completely disconnected from God, disconnected from our families, disconnected from others, disconnected from Lexington, disconnected to a local church. And God saying, no, that is not how Christ lived. He's here with the people. He's, he's got a group of men he's discipling. Even Daniel had three guys he could turn to and they prayed for him to get that prophecy right there on the screen. The kingdom of God has been entrusted to you and I, and we want to be a church saying, God, we're going to take what's been entrusted to us and go advance it for you. Purpose of this message is to show us when we reject the kingdom or we don't do what God's wanting us to do, we are rejecting this stone. We're rejecting Christ. And this morning, we're about to have our, we're about to have our Lord's Supper here. And this Lord's Supper is a time of self-examination. And you need to be able to say, Lord, am I broken? Have I fallen over the stone? That's what it means to get saved. Have I tripped over this cornerstone and, and literally given you all? If you're standing this morning proudly before the Lord saying, Lord, here I am. Remember, that's how the Jewish leaders were. And their, their biggest fear was the crowds. They didn't care what God thought of them. They cared what the crowds thought of them. God's looking at your and I's hearts. And He's saying, if we, if we have unconfessed sin, if, we're, if we have things in our life that we have not completely surrendered to the Lord, the stone's going to crush us. It's coming. This prophecy 2,500 years ago, it's a, it's a rock rolling. And we're at the bottom. We're the modern powers down there, the iron and clay. That's a mixed, that means it's a mixed kingdom. And that's what we live in, a mixed world with a mixed kingdom, with all different folks. And the rock's rolling at it. It's an extension of the Roman Empire. Broadway, we have to say, God, am I ready for this? Do I have, do I have fruit to show to the Lord? I'm, I'm the manager of a vineyard, and God's going to come back, and I've got to show Him something that I've been doing for my Lord. Listen, when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When is the last time you told a lost soul about Jesus? When's the last time you began to say, I'm going to start investing in younger people? In my, start with your grandkids or your children. Do you know, I saw a statistic this week, and we're about to have a, uh, our, our, um, our Lord's Supper here. I get this little magazine called Tr Facts and Trends. It's put out by Lifeway Research. And you know the number one indicator if a child is going to, when they, a child growing up, if they are going to love Jesus and say faithful as an adult, the most important thing a child can do is to read their Bible every day. I mean, that's overwhelmingly. If children and teenagers at a young age get in the habit and get in the passion of reading this book, over this is more important than anything they do. If they do this at home and learn their Bible and their parents teach them the Bible and read it to them, they will grow up be, most likely be a believer and a disciple, a real disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And do you know what the most dangerous thing to do, that, that this will turn off more children than anything else? It's that when a teenager, when a child becomes a teenager, and the parents allow them to decide whether or not they go to church anymore. You've got a 15, 16-year-old. This could be your child or your grandchild. 
And they grow up and they think, you know, I'm 16 now. I don't need to go to church anymore. I have my own car. I'm my own man. If a parent allows a child to make that decision, that is the worst thing a parent can do. Because then, if they can make that decision when they're 16, they can make it when they're 26, and they're 36 and 46, and they will fall away from the Lord. The best thing we can do with our children is to make them stumble over this book is to make them learn their Bible so they know when they hear stories out of Daniel chapter 2 about Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and they read this parable here of the wicked trustees or the parable of the tenants, they know what God is speaking to them. That this stone, you will fall over it, or it will fall over you. I want to invite our deacons to come forward. We're going to have our Lord's Supper. This is your time of self-examination, saying, God, where do I stand with the coming stone? It's rolling towards me. The Lord's Supper is for believers. It's for folks who have a relationship with Christ and receive believers' baptism. You know, if you're a guest here and you've never had the, uh, you're not saved, you've never fallen over the stone here we've just, we've just learned about, you don't have to participate in the Lord's Supper. But if you're a saved, born-again, baptized believer, we identify with Christ with the Lord's Supper.
to explain the Lord's Supper, we do this here at Broadway seven times a year. We take the Lord's Supper. And the reason why it serves to you, because during that last meal that Jesus had in the upper room with his disciples, he served them the food. He served them the bread. He served them the wine. So the importance of the Lord's Supper is, is someone else is serving you. So that's our importance. Jesus picked up the bread, and he prayed over the bread. This bread represents Jesus' body. This is why we as believers participate in the Lord's Supper. You're saying, Christ, I identify with your body with this bread. It's for believers. Let's pray over the bread. Lord, we thank you for this bread. Lord, we know this is symbolic and it represents your body. Lord, we identify with you as believers. Lord, this is a time of seriousness. It's a time of self-identity um, that we have to examine our hearts. And Lord, is there anything in my life that doesn't belong, that I need to cleanse myself in, before you because this it, this bread i'm eating identifies with you lord lord we thank you for this bread and thank you for you giving your life for us in jesus name we pray amen after jesus picked up the bread he then picked up the cup and the cup that jesus served was a um it was a goblet it was a, it was a cup that had wine in it, and it represented his blood so we're going to serve the cup Amen, you may stand up.
men, you may be seated. During the time of the Lord's Supper, after the bread, Jesus then picked up the cup. Uh, he uh, served the cup to his disciples and explained the meaning of the cup. The cup represents Jesus' blood. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus literally shed his blood for us. That's another one of those terms that we have to teach people what that means. That means his blood, by Jesus' perfect blood, with no sin in his life, he became the sacrifice for us. Meaning back in Old Testament times, the Jewish people would go to the temple and bring their sacrifice, and that would represent the forgiveness of sins when they would bring their, their uh, dove or their lamb. Well, Jesus became that lamb. He was the sacrifice. So that's why we identify with Christ through the cup. It represents his blood. He picked up the cup and he prayed over Lord, we thank you for this cup. We know this cup represents your blood. Your blood died on the cross, shed for us so we could be forgiven. Lord, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Lord, we identify with you in remembrance this morning with this cup. Lord, we thank you for dying on a cross and giving your blood so we can have life. Lord, we, we thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Mark's account of the Lord's Supper, it says after they uh, had their Lord's Supper and um, had the time in the upper room, it says they sang a hymn. Our hymn is our hymn of invitation. That's an opportunity. What God has done private in your life, you make it public. God has spoken to you this morning. I'll be standing out front. We have our deacons as well up here. You uh, certainly respond to the gospel. Let's stand together. We'll have our hymn of invitation for you to respond. Gene have Gilles you been to Calvary?
ask everybody to be seated real quick. I'm going to share what certainly the Lord's doing. I'm going to make a couple of announcements real quick here before um, we uh, share a couple of things. Last week, we had uh, Rick or um, Joanna Hawthorne shared about Israel. Um, we are uh, one, one year from today, we will have a group of folks in Israel. If you want to go, uh, uh, the price is $3,000. Rick, I spoke to him on the phone this week. It might actually be lower, closer to $2,500, just depending on the airfare. So that. Th- Something, you know, this is a bucket list item. Sherry and I are going to be there. So we'll be leaving, I think, January 15th through 25th next year in 2019, one year from today. So if you're interested in Israel, we have the little uh, updated pa- uh, information there. By the elevator there on the left, you can certainly pick one up. One to share, uh, give, uh, share about that. Also, uh, tonight, we have church. Uh, so I'm going through the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 4. We also have our bi-monthly business meeting. Whenever we have our Lord's Supper, we also have our business meeting. So everybody... That starts at 7 o'clock, so you're certainly encouraged and invited to come to that this evening. As well as I want to mention to our men, we, uh, and now it's less than two weeks, we have the Johnny Hunt Men's Conference simulcast. It is going to be on Friday, February 2nd, and then Saturday, February 3rd. Kevin Dye is heading this up. Kevin's cooking hamburgers for all the guys at 6 o'clock. The simulcast will be live. We'll watch it on the screens right here, so we'll come upstairs and it will be from 7 to 9 on that Friday night, and also Saturday mornings from 8 to 12. Now, even if you can't come to all these sessions, if you just come, just for an hour or two, you'll get a great blessing. They have wonderful men speakers there, uh, wonderful. We're going to have a great uh, dinner that night at 6 o'clock with Kevin Dye and the guys. Uh, we have to have 100 men. Invite all your friends. Anybody's welcome. We're charging 10 bucks. If you don't have $10, we want you to come anyway. $10 just helps off-price offset the price of uh, the conference and the materials and the food we're buying. But we're going to have a great time, men. This is a fantastic um, a conference. We can't always go down to Woodstock, Georgia, but we're bringing it here. So it's going to be just like we're here. So I want you just go on the website and, and, and sign up for that. Jeff, over y'all come stand up here real quick. Thank you. These are my neighbors here. They live right down Boston Road. This is Jeff and Oga Harris. They've been coming to our church for several months now. They're Faithful here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Just been attending the men's Sunday school class with Mr. Jerry Crouch. Oga has been attending our ladies' Sunday school class there with Ms. Cheryl Biddle. And they love Sunday school, and they certainly have uh, been connecting here at our church. And they're coming this morning to transfer their membership from a local area Baptist church. So we're excited for Jeff and Oga and their faithfulness. They're both Bible scholars and uh, love the Word of God, and they'll fit right in here at Broadway. So if you are excited... For Jeff and Oga Harris for uh, uniting and connecting here at Broadway, will you join me in saying amen, amen. And we, <laughs> we always have our receiving line. We'll have to move this table here a little bit out of the way. So we'll have a receiving line. So we're, I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. Gene King's going to close this in song. And right when, uh, right when he's done, you want to come by and shake their hand and give them a wonderful Broadway welcome. I tell you, Kevin, you mind helping me with this? Uh, All right, let's join in singing to, uh, the chorus to God be the glory. Praise the Lord for what he has done. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people
have some of the deacons take a, a offering plate and meet at the door where we'll be taking a love offering.